Foxley is all about helping people to feel confident in dealing with difficult customers, build trust, and strong relationships. In this podcast, we talk to talented people to share insights and tips on how they do it. Welcome to Thinking Outside the Fox. Nikki Bass is an occupational psychologist, keynote speaker, and executive coach with specific expertise in resilience and leadership development. Having spent 18 years as an officer in the British Army focused on learning and development, she combines deep theoretical knowledge with lived experience as a leader in the most high-pressured environments. She's worked with a variety of organisations and teams in both the public and private sectors and specialises in helping teams with complex and challenging dynamics. Nikki's a TEDx speaker and the host of the Everyday Adventure podcast and is passionate about enabling others to lead more fulfilling and adventurous lives. She can usually be found in her trainers, on her surfboard or endlessly walking her two dogs along the beach. Nikki, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. It's so great to be here. So tell us a little bit about your journey, your career journey. Yes, I think journey is probably quite an apt word because, um, yeah, I'm not someone who typically plans my career a long way in advance. Um, I've always been someone who quite likes to see what comes up and and sort of taking opportunities as they arise. But um, I so after leaving university, I did a number of ski seasons and traveling and I studied French at university. So I was obviously keen to use the French, but more keen to go snowboarding, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, did some <laughs> traveling, <laughs> did some temp work, um, got to the age of 24 and thought, I really am getting a bit tired of cleaning toilets and, <laughs> um, and, and, and answering the phone not so well. So I thought, um, so... I had the slightly strange left field idea for me of joining the army um, and partly because I was interested in international relations and wanting to do something in that space, partly because I heard they had a snowboard team and I didn't want to work indoors. So (laughs) a few different, um, not entirely connected reasons. Um, And so, yeah, I joined Sandhurst in January 2000. Um, and having promised myself three years and now, um, 20 years later, yeah, I, well, I left it, I left in 2017, so 17 years later, and then came back in for a little period over COVID, but yeah, so I did wow. sort of close to 18 years in, in the army. Wow. So that, that definitely is unusual because most people who join the army seem to do so as a, you know, from school or from university as a bit of a, a vision and a mission. But I don't know if I've ever come across anyone who said they wanted to join the army because they had a snowboard team. <laughs> yeah, in, in hindsight, when I arrived at Santos, it probably would have been more helpful if I'd come from a bit more of a concrete background. Um, I, 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 I j- often joke with my friends who I went through training with that, you know, I've never been so bad at so many things in such a short space of time. Um, and I think partly because I just had no concept of the language. I had no I even when people were yelling at me to do stuff, I didn't understand what they were asking me to do. Um, I think there were there were two things that I could do. I think one of them was swimming. Um, yeah. And the other was from all my years training doing ski seasons, I could do really good hospital corners on my bed. So oh. <laughs> the, the, the key advantage was that I did actually get a decent night's sleep because I wasn't up all night trying to make my bed perfect. Um, but yeah, so so it was a pretty steep learning curve, um, to be honest, as someone who'd always been fairly free spirited and um, yeah, doing things that I enjoyed doing to suddenly be in an environment to be told every part of my day and certainly in training that was that was the case 
um, was a real shock to the system. Wow. So tell us a bit about what you do now then. So you're no longer in the army and we'll we'll kind of come back to, I think, some of your experiences during that that time in the army. But what do you do now? So now, um, so I left, as I said, in 2017 um, and I, I've always loved sort of studying alongside work and I did a, a psychology, a graduate con- conversion for psychology through the Open University whilst I was at in the army and then went on to do a master's in occupational psychology and decided I was really keen to follow that route. I love I've always loved working with people. It was the reason I went into learning and development in the army. Um, and so when I left in 2017, I set up my own um, sort of learning and development consultancy, focusing on delivering um, using adventure sport, because as I've mentioned, I'm quite into <laughs> adventure sports, particularly those that involve water and snow. Um, and I wanted to use my experience, my knowledge that actually when, I, when I've done those activities, I use what I've learned in my daily life, in my work life, in my career. Um, and I wanted to combine that in a business effectively and, and be able to share that with other people. So, um, yeah, so I set up a business that develops, helps leaders, teams um, and, and organisations to develop their resilience and their leadership skills and to build their teams, um, particularly through the use of outdoor ad- adventures. Yeah. OK, which is amazing because that brings us on to our topic of the of the series, which is about grit. So tell us. What's important to you about grit? You talked about resilience there as part of what you do with your with your clients. How important is it and, and how do you see it manifest itself? Yeah, so grit, I think, is a really interesting term. It often gets confused with resilience. It often gets, you know, this idea that we just dig deep and keep going regardless. Um, and in some ways, and it is important to resilience because there are times, obviously, we need to keep going, even though we don't know what's on the other side of that. Um, but in other ways, it's sort of the antithesis to that, because part of resilience is knowing when to put up boundaries, when to say no, when when to stop effectively. Um, and I think that's really important when we think about grit, too, because I think there's this idea of of grit that is about you know, sort of scaling mountains or digging deep. But I think the bit that we can all relate to is this piece around consistently showing up, even when it feels really hard, even when you don't know what the outcome is going to be and you have no confidence even that, that or, or no sense of, of how you're going to get through something. And I think that's particularly relevant to resilience, that, that you sort of keep putting one foot in front of the other. Um, but that, that doesn't need to be done in a sort of perseverance way. It's almost like that can be done alongside sitting with deep pain and feeling uncomfortable and finding things difficult. That the, the two can coexist, I guess. So talk to me a bit about, more about that, because it's really interesting that you said um, resilience for you is the ability to say no to things. Mm. And, and that's a different angle. Um, and one of the things we're trying to do within this within the series of the podcast is give people tips, ideas and tricks. And and so far, resilience has been about sticking to it. And grit is about, you know, kind of pushing on regardless. You've just brought in an angle there, which is the opposite of that. Where's that come from? Yeah, so I suppose it's partly come from the research I've done as, as part of my studying, part of it, part of it come from my own experience of knowing that there is a 
and I think that it's also part of you know how we exist within society and there and there can be a real you know there's something really celebrated about saying yes more and putting yourself there and being open to experiences and I think that's that's amazing it's not trying to say people shouldn't you know embrace all the opportunities out there but I think it can start to feel like a pressure as well and the times usually when our resilience is really tested is because we are low on resources that we're there is a reason we're not able to put ourselves out there or there is a reason that we're struggling and that can be due to a huge life event um, or it can be to due to a sort of an ongoing degradation of our resource. I mean, anyone who's ever had a, a young baby um, and gets yeah. no sleep will know how much more difficult just normal day-to-day stuff is to cope when you've not had sleep. You know, there's a reality that at that point, our resilience is pretty low because we are, you know, we're having to continue put, put ourselves out there and we're, you know, having to look after something where at the same time we're just struggling to even get up and have a shower. Um, and so I think the idea then of what you can what you can leave behind, what you can say, actually, right now, this isn't serving me. And that's not to say that what somebody's asking you to do isn't valid or important, um, but that actually having our own boundaries and not relying on external validation for feeling enough and okay is such a hugely critical part of resilience. Um, and this idea that because it allows us to feel in control um, and often when we are feeling really low in resilience, it's when we're feeling most out of control. That is so insightful. Um, and I'm reflecting on moments in time and people I've spoken to recently about how they're feeling how how frustrated they feel or how struggling they are with things that are happening at work or things that are happening in life. And you're right, it's often because they feel out of control. And yet the people who stay focused, who stay kind of, I don't I'm gonna keep saying the word resilient or say, mm. say gritty, but stay on track are because they are, they feel like they're in charge of their own destiny. I can mm. do this today and it will contribute to my life um and the and that resource degradation is really fascinating so what you're saying is when we feel exhausted that those are the moments when our i guess that makes complete sense those are the moments when we feel like giving up or we do give Mm. up so how can we do that because i want to focus on everyday life here and and talk about how we people can can get tips to just be better each day and what what would your advice be then how do you retain resources how would you advise somebody who's working with you to to be better to be able to feel less exhausted or less degraded by their by the way that the world is yeah so i think the first point is always recognizing that there are things that are way outside of your control and and that you can't do anything or very much about and there are those things that are still in your control Um, and when you are feeling low on resources it can be really helpful just thinking about the what can I do what what actions can I take Um, and I always you know I, I think there's two things to this I think one is we generally know the things that help us it's just that at those times when we are, when our resilience is tested, 
we find ourselves unable to access them for a number of reasons. It might be just the exhaustion. It might be that we've got so many different things we're juggling. Um, there may be a whole host of things that we, we can't get to those generally those practices or those things that we do that we know help us to feel better about ourselves. So um, give, us, give us an example of that. So, so an example might be exercise. You know, it's a really mm. sort of simple example that, you know, if we're somebody who uses exercise as a way of, you know, releasing stress or, you know, getting outside or whatever it is that exercise allows us or, you know, we enjoy that hit of endorphins. It get you know, it helps us to feel positive. Um, when we're under a huge amount of stress or pressure or we're feeling exhausted, often that's a thing that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so because we don't, we feel like we don't have time or we're too exhausted, we just want to collapse in front of the TV. Yeah. And so... But we know that it helps us, but we at that time, we just feel unable to access this. It's one more, it feels like one more drain on our time and our energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the point when I'd go, okay, so so yes, so maybe at this moment, the pressure to keep up the type of exercise that you normally do can feel too much. Yeah. And so then I would always go to what's the smallest thing you can do to connect with that thing that you know helps you. So okay. it might be actually, what do I, what do I love about exercise? What does it, what is it that I get from exercise that helps me? And it might be actually what it is, is I like going for a run outside. I like being outside in the fresh air. It helps clear my mind. It gives me perspective. And then it's going, okay, so you might not be able to manage that 30 minute or 50 minute run right now. Mm-hmm. Can you step outside your front door and go for a walk down the road? Would that feel possible? You know, if that feels impossible, you take it back a step and you go, actually, can you stand outside the front door and take a few deep breaths and just look at the sky? Yeah. Is that something that would that help connect with that bit? Can you stand up for your debt from your desk and put your phone down and put yourself on mute and just move your body? Yeah. Yeah. So it's taking those. It, it's seeing past the thing and seeing it as what is it that brings me? And then finding the smallest way that we can recreate that same feeling, that same sense, which will often be enough to be a reminder of actually that really helped. Maybe I'll do that again. Maybe then I'll find a way to build in that one minute standing on my doorstep and taking a few deep breaths. Or maybe actually I'm going to extend to getting down the road and just going for a walk. And even if I can't fit in the run, maybe having a five minute walk first thing in the morning, maybe that is the thing that I can do. Um, so it's, it's trying to reframe the, you know, the, the thing that, and because we can go, right, I can't do that thing. So there's no point. Yes. I can't go for an hour. So there's no point in going at all. I can't go no for point. an hour. So what's the point? I'm not going to get from it. So it's trying yeah. to think, what do I get from it? What is it about that thing that gives me that feeling? Can I, you know, can I get a skipping rope and skip, you know, if it's the endorphin high, grab a skipping rope and jump down for five minutes i mean i'm using the exercise analogy a lot but i think it can translate to any anything that we do that is the thing that feeds us because we we can't carry out you know i mean there's all sorts of you know sayings around you know oxygen mask on first and pouring from an empty cup and that sort of thing but there is a reality about when we are depleted it is very hard to keep giving out or giving out in a meaningful way. And we start to lose empathy as well. That's one of the interesting bits of research out there that actually when we're low on energy, when we feel depleted ourselves, we we start feeling a lack of empathy with others. Yeah. And we, you yeah. Know, we start to get irritated. And and if we're in a leadership position or if we're working in a team, that's that's a really important thing to consider. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of, one of my frustrations often with these kind of influencers who inspire action and inspire us, you know, on their Instagram real stories and all this other stuff about how far they've run or how many workouts they've done today or how they've they live this lifestyle where they, they live in a camper van and all this kind of stuff is they never seem to have other stuff going on. Mm. You know, there's never, it's not like, oh, guys, I just want to come on and talk to you because today I wasn't able to go for a run because my youngest son was sick and, um, you know, and nursery wouldn't accept him. So therefore I had him at home with me and I just didn't get five minutes and I haven't run today. Like that's an Instagram reel you never see by one of these influencers. And yet that's the reality for, yeah. for most people. And I, and I kind of wonder that these people disappear once they have their children and their family because they no longer have time to post inspiring Instagram stories that are followed by tens of thousands of people because reality gets in the way of them and they you know by that time they've made their money or they've made whatever and they, and they don't need to do it and that frustrates the hell out of me because that's not real life it's easy to say I can run you know 50 miles a week when you've got nobody dependent upon you to be at home and you can go at any time and you can be gone for, for two or three hours and, and it, it doesn't matter. And I, th and I think that's what you're just touching on here is the, is the importance of, of finding some space to, to do something helpful. And, you know, if I talk to young parents who say my partner works away and, you know, she, she does long hours She's not back until late or she works shifts. You know, this is pretty common as well. She, she works nights and I work days and, and therefore evenings are our crossover moment or, or I'm looking after the children. I can't go for a run. I can't go to the gym. Then there is, you know, as you talked about the skipping rope, do something in the house or do, you know, get some, you know, a hit class on YouTube or something like that. You, there is things you can do if you can create the space for yourself. So how much of that is then habits? You know, you're creating habits and building habits. Yeah, so I find the, the whole, yeah, psychology of habits so fascinating because I think we tend to think about habits. And this is, again, I guess, going to your point about when we're getting, when we're reading self-help books or getting advice or people are sort of telling us, this is, if you just do this thing, your whole life will be brilliant. And there's a reality that habits are really important to us. They're, they're, you know, they're vital to how we function. And particularly in the modern world, you know, most of our day is on autopilot, you know, mm. because we've got so many things stacked into our, our schedules and our time and that we're trying to manage. And we need those habits because actually if we were having to think about every single decision that we were doing and how we were going about doing it, you know, it would collapse probably yeah. by the time we got to brushing our teeth. Yeah. So, um, so when we're talking about taking on new habits, actually what we're asking of ourselves is a huge amount and that's not recognised enough. Actually, just the very thought of starting a new habit should be celebrated because putting yourself out there and making that change is hard. It's why the majority of New Year's resolutions failed, not because people aren't motivated and don't have good intentions. It's just that the strength of the habit is stronger than our intention. So our existing habits will always overrule what we set out to do unless we can find a way to turn that intention into another habit. 
I hope that makes sense. So, yeah. so it's not that we're not motivated. It's not that we don't have the best intentions. It's not that we are failing. It's that maybe what we're looking at in terms of habit recreation is too big. Because actually, uh, you know, for example, you know, if you're thinking about, well, I'm going to change my diet or I want to start eating more healthily, we tend to think of that. That's the change. That's that's the new habit I want to create. But actually, that's a whole series of micro habits within that it involves you know thinking about where we're going to do the shop when we do the shop how what changes are we making and again if we're pushed for time and we're rushing to the supermarket and throwing the same things in our food baskets or if we're cooking for a family um or we're cooking for children who all eat different things not speaking from experience <laughs> um <laughs> that that actually you know, there's a whole series of events that are going into that we need to change in order to get to the point that we can sustainably change the way in which we eat. Mm. Um, and some, so sometimes, again, taking it back to that smallest part, it's really, again, thinking about if I have an intention that there is something that I do want to change. One, it's this idea of support, because actually, you know, the there is a lot of research saying that, and, and it's particularly important to resilience as well, that a huge part of that is about what support we've got, what support we're able to access. And that might be practical support. It might be emotional support. It might be support from a tribe or a group. But, you know, how what's going to keep us going? What's going to help us to stay accountable? Um, but also thinking about how can I make those changes so small that it's really hard to wiggle out of them? Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, can I just try substituting one thing on my plate? Would that be a, a way to start? Or just add, you know, maybe I need to eat, you know, I think actually in, I'm, I'm eating a lot of biscuits as a snack. Maybe I could buy some nuts or something else and use them as a snack instead. You know, I'm not a dietitian, yeah. so I'm not going to, to give people <laughs> nutritional advice. But it's the concept of how we start at that lowest point or that smallest point that actually then might allow us to build on those series of habits. You know, if I want to start, I think I need to do some more exercise. Actually, again, the whole series of habits, maybe the starting point is just putting on your trainers. Getting up this morning, I'm just going to get up and put my trainers on. Yeah. And the next time I'm, I'm going to do my trainers in five steps. You know, it's, it's giving yourself the least amount of wiggle room so that that existing habit doesn't take over again. Yeah. And, and so what that then lends itself to is creating an environment for for you to be resilient and for you to mm -hmm. stick to this habit, this new habit, because it's there's an element there of the habit sticking to the habit is or the new positive habit is is a good thing. But if you you're making it harder for yourself unless you change a lot of other things around it and I, I i read something a few years ago about addicts giving up um an, an addiction and it, it applies to as much to uh, drugs and to cigarettes and to alcohol um, and, and even to things like behavior so people who have had criminal behavior and spend time in prison because when they when they decide to change, if they're still in the same environment, it's really hard. If the friends that they hung around with before were drinkers or smokers or um, uh, drug addicts or criminals, then then them refusing to participate and, and refusing to and wanting to change their lives is much much harder because everything else is leading them down that path. And so I guess what you're arguing here is also that 
you can't just change one thing. If you're really determined to stick to something, you need to think about what the ripple effect is that will, you know, what else is either helping you or hindering you with that change. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you touched on a really important point there, which is about loss. And every time we change, the reasons we, you know, the reality is, is there's so much information about there about what we should be doing and how we should be living, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the issue is not the absence of information. And I always find it fascinating when people sort of start from that place of, oh, well, you know, you need to eat more healthily or, you, you know, it's a good idea to do whatever, um, do more exercise. You know, people people aren't stupid and they have that information um but what it comes down to is meaning and loss a lot of the time so actually if your social group and your life and your family and the way where you've you know where you've got connection and meaning in your life are you know take on a particular way of existing then actually not you're not only asking people to and and we've heard this with people who've you know lost weight um that you know you're you're actually changing that social structure and you're moving away from something and so you're so you can be losing quite a lot you know and and even if you are if it, you do something because it feels comfortable or it feels you know this is something that makes me feel nice in that moment mm-hmm. asking somebody to stop doing that is you know, is is asking them to separate from a part of themselves and to leave something behind. Mm-hmm. And so, and and resilience is so much how we are able to, to manage with loss. You know, any change yeah. we make is about loss and how we're able to progress and exist around that, how we're able to live alongside it, how we're able to start seeing a, an alternative or a positive future potentially without and that can be as you know it can be the loss of a loved one it can be the loss of you know a job it can be you know big life change but it can also be really small things it's all about how how we feel able to manage alongside that loss Um, and it applies just as much to small habits and it does to big ones Oh, and, and I'm, I'm really just I'm really going with this now because you've you've just opened up a whole line of thinking you know you started earlier on the podcast talking about resilience is about when to say no and how to say no and now you're really bringing that to life and I think about conversations I've had with with someone like my daughter who I'm trying to encourage not to have a latte but to have a coffee with some milk in it because that's a small change that will make a big difference and we talked a lot about empty calories and how easy it is to have two or three lattes a day and then suddenly find yourself at the end of a month or a um, six months having consumed a lot more calories than than you would have liked to have and and yet but there is a loss so you stand in a in a coffee shop to place your order and you you know, I, you really like a latte or you really yeah. like that caramel syrup to go in there. And so to make a choice to have a, a coffee with some milk in it, that's a loss, right? I'm now going to have less pleasure right now than I would have done. And that creates that sense of, you know, it's punishing myself for, mm. for, for reason. That's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. And you think of the whole culture around that so actually if if part of 
you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm making up stories here about your daughter, yeah. so apologies. But, you know, part of that is actually I go with my friends and we all go and get a latte. And I know with my son, he loves frappuccinos currently, um, yeah. you know, or frappes, I think they're called. Um, anyway, so, but, you know, goes on and gets and, and they sit with their friends and it's part of a social thing. Then to step outside of that going, no, t- you know what, today I'm going to have a, a coffee with milk. And everyone's like, what? You're having a coffee with milk? Yeah. What's that? You know what I mean? It's it's sort of yeah. you know, such a huge drive of how we exist is to be part of a group and to be part of a tribe. It's our safety. You know, it comes from that that evolutionary point of that we were, you know, we were never going to beat the saber toothed tiger by being bigger and stronger than it. We <laughs> we we've evolved how you know and and thrived as human beings because of our connections because of our social interactions because of our sense of belonging within a group and actually that's a hugely powerful driver of our behavior so then when we're trying to change something that puts us counter or outside a group that's really important to us then it it becomes that much more challenging to do so and it really questions our what is our meaning what's our reason for doing this is it more powerful in the end um, but also can we build in those consistent tiny changes that actually doesn't make it feel like such a huge thing in the first place? So let's so on that theme, let's go back to you joining the army, right? Because I, I just sound it just seems to have led me back to you doing something which wasn't in your family, wasn't in your history, was completely out of your own experience. And as you said, you know, it was uh, you didn't you realized you were really terrible at so many things so quickly. Um, how did you get through that? How did you thrive in that environment? What kept you going um, with all of that alien environment? It's, you know, it's so funny to look back on it now, sort of however many years ago, um, because it's still such a vivid memory for me, that initial sort of, I guess, the first six weeks, that first term at Santa's. Um, and there were a number of things that got me through, I think. Um you know, in the end, I'd made an active choice to put myself in that place. And I had to continually go back to questioning myself. And, and it was a question I probably asked myself every single day. And, and I think the only reason I didn't leave those first six weeks was because I was too exhausted in some ways. I'd get, I'd get to the end. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to quit at the end of the day. And it would be like, no, I just want to go to bed now. And then we'd be up again at six. And I was like, okay, so I'll quit at the end of the day. And somehow I'd got through six weeks going, oh, okay, well, I made it through six weeks. So, you know, um, I read it I, just before you yeah, said, I read, I read a book on someone who went through something similar. Um, I don't know if you know David Goggins and, and his kind of philosophies on life mm. and he he um has done his incredible challenges personal challenges and he always talks about we are we're capable of doing a lot more than we think we are and when he puts himself in testing situations and he went through seal uh, navy seal uh, training and he said he committed to himself that he if he was going to quit he was never going to quit outdoors so it was <laughs> never going to be on the exercises mm. that he quit if he got back to the to the barracks and at that point he he still wanted to quit then he would because he said when i if i quit out in the field it's because of that moment in time and and that might be me cheating myself that might be my body saying to me i'm really tired give up when actually i, I it's fine and and it just reminds me of that a little bit because he said the same thing you know you then got back had something to eat got warm went to sleep and kind of felt like okay 
we're okay. We've made another day. It seems a very similar type yeah. of philosophy. No, it is. It's so interesting. And I don't think I, I sort of was consciously doing it at the time in terms of an applied philosophy. I think I was just, that's where I was. I was, you know, and I think there was, that's where I go, there's so many elements. You know, the reality was I had some really wonderful people who I was going through training with who were fun, who were, you know, we we could laugh about stuff even when we were crying at the same time. I had people who helped me when I didn't even know which way up my, my Bergen or my webbing went. I had, you know, people who would come in and help me to iron. I mean, I couldn't even iron a shirt. God, (laughs) (laughs) what was I doing? But yes, I had, you know, friends who reached out and supported me and, and that was such a huge part of it. And then I suppose with, I always had that question of what if, what if, I just did stop and I'll never know. And I always just kept thinking to myself, I'll never know whether I was capable of doing it because I stopped. So I have to be really, really, really sure that this isn't the thing I want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing that really helped me um, was going back to my time doing seasons and doing, you know, and doing adventure sports and times where I've been stood at the top of a mountain and thought, I have no idea how I'm going to get down this. Um, I used to, there, there weren't many, that many people who snowboarded when I first started and I'd often end up in with groups of people or sort of tagging along with a group of, of blokes and they'd be sort of disappearing off the side of an off-piste, you know, cliff yeah. and I'd be like, well, I have to follow them because I don't know where I am. Yeah, and charge down. Yeah. Exactly, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with them regardless. And so there were times when I was literally terrified and I'm really sorry, mum. <laughs> but, but, you know, that thing of going... Okay, so I made, I made, I didn't think I could do it. And I was absolutely terrified. And that was a really scary situation. And somehow I found the resources to make it through. And Mm. it was those moments, and it was moments like that. And then it was moments like, you know, turning up in a new place, you know, working at a hotel when I hadn't done season four, really young, not knowing what I was doing and finding a way to keep going and making it through. And those are the bits I held on to. So whenever I found it, challenging um throughout my whole career in the military I would always go back to those times when I was like you didn't think you could do this thing and you did so what else can you do and that would be enough it wasn't that I then thought oh I'm gonna you know I'm gonna rock this this will be I'm gonna be amazing at this thing it what it meant was I was like okay so maybe I can just put another foot in front of the other maybe I can keep going with this maybe I can give this a try and put myself out my comfort zone and sit alongst that feeling of I think this is going to be a disaster knowing that maybe I've got the resources to make it work. And do you think that's a part of your philosophies and the clients you work with now, that you challenge them physically or emotionally with things that are uncomfortable and that has a spillover effect onto the little things? So, you know, let's go back to the examples we've used. I can... I, I, I know, so I have done things with my kids. I love taking them things like co-steering. And we've done a whole load of adventures that were within, they were outside their comfort zone, but not so far that they wouldn't do it or couldn't do it. So we went co-steering and we would jump off cliffs and, and the ones that they were happy with, they did. And the ones they didn't want to do, they stopped. But they learned from that experience that, you know, there is a rush of life and you can do more than you than you can than you think you can and and they loved doing it and i'd like to think that you know in moments of you know can i can i drink a coffee with with a milk 
helps them. Is that some of your philosophy? Is that how you see resilience building in people that you work with? Yeah, 100%. So I have a philosophy which is called Everyday Adventures. Um, And it's a philosophy I live by. I talk about it a lot, but I absolutely live by it because it is a philosophy that certainly since, I suppose, as life has got more busy and more complicated and kids and jobs and responsibility and the huge adventures that I used to go on became less frequent. I still try and make time for them, but they're a lot less frequent than they used to be. Um, And I found I was sort of need that element of feeling like we can do something that is outside of our comfort zone and practicing being in that place of discomfort on a regular basis I think is so important for our confidence for our resilience for our sense of believing we are capable with uh, to cope with challenges even if we don't know the answer to them um and so you know I guess I try and live by that fact that I will try and go on some form of adventure every single day um and by adventure it might be you know sending a message to someone that i that i've been putting off because i'm you know i'm worried about sending it for whatever reason and it feels a bit uncomfortable or catching up with somebody who haven't connected with in a long time and you've got that feeling of you know what are they going to think that you know all of those sort of things that make put us in a place of discomfort that we actively avoid as adults i think if we can if we can sort of nudge our way into those, I think the point you make about not putting ourselves in a in a place of panic is so important. And I would never encourage anybody to go into that place where it just feels so overwhelming because that's we stop learning at that point. Yeah. But that that play, if we can put ourselves in places where I don't quite know where that path leads on the dog walk, but I'm just going to go and explore it. Oh no, now my feet are stuck in mud and I'm a little bit late and I'm covered in thorns. But I had a bit yeah. of an adventure. Yes. I didn't know before. Now I know, you know, and yeah. I managed and I coped. I think yeah. if we can said, do that regularly, it will make it makes such a difference. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, and the other point that you made that you, you talked about your experience in Sandhurst being friends, the support mm-hmm. of friends and yes. the fact that you could laugh with friends. Do you think we generally try to do too much on our own and we hide away from our daily struggles and i'm not saying people don't have friends but i mean the the ability to talk to friends and say do you know what i feel like i'm overwhelmed or i'm i screwed that up and i made a, I feel like i made a fool of myself and then you suddenly find someone who says oh no i did exactly the same thing a few days ago do we make the most of that or do you think we could do more i think I think it, there's that element that we live in a highly individualistic society and culture that doesn't actively encourage us to see those connections as such a vital part of who we are and how we exist in the world. Um, and that, yes, I think the time I know, you know, when I say, you know, there are things that have got me through when things have been when when life has been challenging the one thing that I know matters more than anything is feeling like there are people out there who've got your back and that doesn't necessarily mean people you have to tell all your feelings to um, because everybody has a different way of of managing that but just knowing that to, to some people you are enough that you don't have to perform that you don't have to be something that you can show up as your 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 everyday average ordinary self and that's absolutely perfect to them 
is so fundamental to our ability to cope with when you know we we think we failed or things have gone wrong and and our our ability to 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 find humor in some of those situations as well which is such a an important part of resilience too so i think I think it's highly underestimated. I think it's the thing that gets lost in the workplace most frequently because we're always caught in the doing and we are connecting over work, but we're not connecting over selves. And actually just to be able to have a laugh with someone and go, oh my God, I can't believe I just sent that email and, you know, when I put in the wrong name or, you know, and then go, oh my God, I've done that. And you just go, okay, I'm normal. It's not, you know, it's not great. I would wish I hadn't done it, but it's okay. I'm going to survive it. It's not the end of the world. It allows us to keep things in perspective um, and it allows us to be enough without all of the other stuff that we are striving for or trying to achieve. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think lots of organisations I work with strive for excellence. And in that, in that hope for excellence, they, they forget that people make mistakes or that we're on the same learning journey. And, and we hide away from the fact that we also sent an email to the wrong person. It becomes, a, I can't believe you did that. And, and it, you lose that human element of it. And, and organizations that I work with where there is a high performance culture, it's because it's a high learning culture where everybody's involved. It is not a younger or more junior people learn and more experienced, more senior people don't because they've done the learning. It is everybody learning all the time and ability to to support each other and to see things as as, you know, things that you learn from but then become funny later on is I think is really really important and that the beauty and creativity often comes in that mess that often comes in the points of of failure or getting things wrong or trying new things and you know it not going as planned that that is that is also a part of excellence whatever that looks like it's how we define those terms is excellence getting every I and T perfectly dotted or is it finding space for creativity and innovation and doing things differently, but that can't be separated from getting things wrong. Um, and I think linked to that is, is what are we modeling for, for young people and for children and yeah. what, 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 how they exist in the world. They, they grow up in the world expecting to always have to get things perfect too. Yeah. So on that note, our final question, Nikki is, is, what advice would you give to a 12-year-old you? So if you could talk to yourself today as a 12-year-old, what advice would you give her? So I think my advice is what I try to remind myself to give to my... I've got a, a 13-year-old now and a 10-year-old, so it's a good age group to be talking about. Um, my advice is that being a teenager is really hard and no one is getting it right and nobody is, you know they're sat with with no anxiety or no concern about how they're showing up because being a teenager is about how we form our connections with others and with the world around us and finding our place within that um but that that's okay that you'll be okay within that and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to do silly things and you're going to have a terrible quiff at one point Um, but but that's you know what, that's part of it. And that, do you know what, there are people who sitting alongside you and who know you are enough, no matter who or what you do. So hold on to that throughout all of the bumpiness and you'll be okay. Yeah. 
beautiful advice and I'm sure your children are listening intently (laughs) and they're going oh no she's off on one again (laughs) (laughs) they say stop stop giving me inspirational quotes mum I'm like okay (laughs) stop inspiring me exactly just be normal for god's sake (laughs) (laughs) I love it um Nikki, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Tell us a bit about where people can find you, how they might want to get involved in some of the work that you do um, and and talk about kind of what what is it that you can inspire people to do if they want to work with you? Yeah, so um, first place, I guess, visit my website, resiliencework.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn, Nikki Bass, if you want to connect with me. Um, I like to show up on Instagram because I like posting pictures of the sea and wandering around with my dogs a lot. So if you're looking for everyday adventure inspiration, that's a great place to go. Um, And I also have my own podcast, the Everyday Adventure Podcast. So um, again, I've spoken to some really incredible people about how they've woven everyday adventures into their life. So please, please have a look out for that too. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Nikki. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. That was Thinking Outside the Fox with me, Chris Weber. Our next episode is out in two weeks. Join us for more great conversations on how to build winning customer relationships. I'm looking forward to it.